Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. It's Tuesday and it's 1% Better Tuesday. Maybe this is a one-off, maybe not, but it is my intention to release more episodes of the 1% Better Podcast. We always get one out on the Friday, pretty much, but I have a number of recorded episodes that I do offline and I'm delighted to be able to bring this one out on the Tuesday. Hopefully over the next few weeks I'll do some live shows directly out on the Tuesday and also some that I've recorded, edited and will put out. I was able to take advantage of most of a free day on Sunday and just dived straight into editing one after the other. I think that's something I might do once a month going forward because I get a lot more done when you do it in batch. Anyway, that's not really important to you. But the important part is there is an episode and it's with two female comedians, uh, one named Emma Pine, who is an Irish lady. She's been living in L.A. for about a decade. And the other is Michelle Thorne, who is American, but has certainly Irish heritage, as she's informed me during the show. 50% Irish, I believe. I connected with them a few months back. We recorded this podcast. We also recorded it on video, and I'll put that up on the YouTube channel and a link on the website. They have their own comedy show in L.A. called Throwing Punches. It's held once a month in L.A.'s Universal City. Lots of cities in L.A., but this is one of them. And it brings together a diverse lineup of comics. And it's remarkable in that every show has both up-and-coming comics and seasoned comics indeed. This show talks about both Emma and Michelle's comedic journey, where they've come from, how they're doing now. And I try to dig into the creative process, how they put bits together, how they deal with feedback and how they really kind of gel together as a, a duo for putting this show on, how it's helped them grow and develop over the last year and a half since it's been running. I also dig into what the whole hierarchy of comics uh, is like in Hollywood, and very interestingly talk about a certain milestone, a certain number of years in the profession before they get their stripes, if you will. Dig into that, like any profession it takes hard work there's a lot of putting yourself on the line putting yourself out there certainly developing a thick skin dealing with fear and nerves probably in this world much more than any typical job i really am interested in how they deal with all of that and they're very open and delighted to share their insights and what they've learned so far so a little shorter intro than normal i hope that's okay i'm sure most of you are delighted but i will always ask please do sign up to the podcast if you're a new listener because Emma and Michelle may have shared this out and you're checking in to the 1% Better podcast. This is episode 104. There's 103 beforehand. I'd love if you subscribe to the show on any of your podcast apps of choice. Go on to robofthegreen.ie and on the front page and on the latest page, you will see links to all those podcast platforms as well. You can sign up. I'm always looking for feedback. I do put that call out regularly but typically get maybe 1% of listeners dropping me a note to say they liked something or they didn't like something about the show or even suggesting a guest that I could follow up with. This one is about comedy, but also looking under the hood and figuring out what motivates and what drives people. That's what 1% Better Podcast is all about. It touches on so many different topics, but also underneath it all, it's trying to help you learn and grow professionally personally okay the short intro probably isn't so short i'll leave it there enjoy the episode with michelle and emma and i hope you have a great rest of week 
episode 105. The next episode will be out on Friday. Thanks so much and take care. Yeah, hey guys, welcome to the 1% Better podcast and this episode is season three, uh, one of the first ones and we're focusing on the creative process. I have two ladies from the West Coast, one is one is from Ireland but living in the West Coast and we're going to talk about Woo. comedy and acting and writing. So Emma Pine and Michelle Thorne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you both along uh, on on audio and video. Uh, it's what time is it over there? It's it's early morning, noon, I suppose, uh, in on the west coast. Yeah, quarter yeah. past twelve. Yeah, on a Monday morning. Great way to start the week. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll pretend. We'll, yeah. we'll <laughs> pretend that that is is a yes anyway. Um, so we'll start, Michelle. You're on my left side, so let's start with you. Please give yourself an introduction for those that mightn't have uh, heard of you before. Hi, my name is Michelle Thorne. Um, I'm a writer and comedian. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Florida and a co-producer with Emma of Throwing Punches. Excellent. Show. And when we were connecting beforehand, you did claim a little bit of Irish too, I think, didn't you? Oh, yeah. My mom is from Korea and then my dad's Irish. His uh, great his grandparents are from Ireland. Okay, perfect. Like everybody else in America, yeah, I think, at this stage. So. <laughs> Our diaspora is completely... Did, I did Ancestry.com and I'm 50% Irish. So All right, okay. So, so uh, Ancestry.com of all your DNA genetical coding as well. So you've kind of done that. Yes. Well, my dad did it. So they okay. have his him on track, but not me. So oh, he was yeah. 99% Irish. Okay, very good. What was the other 1%? <laughs> Asshole. No, just kidding. <laughs> Considering the show is called 1% Better, that 1% would be important. So well, He needs to get better. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Emma introduce yourself for for maybe a lot of folks probably in Ireland might know of you already but uh give it a go there well I hope they do uh my name is Emma Pine I'm actually originally from Ennis in County Clare um I've been living in LA for about nine years now and um Michelle and I run Throwing Punches I've done a few gigs in Ireland I did a gig with Carl Spain before Christmas so hoping to get back to do some gigs in Cork uh, in May Okay, perfect. Well, this will be out before May, so anything that comes up. Um, in the meantime, give me info, and I can put it on the show notes for folks to to talk, to share with them. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about your careers, maybe a little bit first, and and how you got to where you got to. Uh, remember, you're on you're on camera here, Emma, so you're you're uh, you're visible. So, Michelle, talk to me a bit about your I suppose your aspirations growing up what did you want to become a, a writer an actor comedian director all of those things um probably when I was younger growing up I wanted more so to focus on acting I actually moved to Los Angeles when I was 17 and I went to LA County High School for the Arts um which is a pretty big art school out here it's kind of like fame um and then I went to college uh liberal arts school and got my theater degree and I was mostly focused on acting but as soon as I graduated from college, I started performing at Upright Citizens Brigade, which is Amy Poehler's comedy theater. Mm -hmm. And I focused more on uh, sketch writing and improv. And then I got on a writing group there. I writing was never even on my radar. And then when I joined a sketch writing team there, it, it ended up switching over focus to that. And I actually enjoyed writing a little bit more than I did acting um, because I like to eat food and <laughs> not have to deal with that stuff. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, and then I switched over to stand up also because 
improv and sketch is kind of like a white nerd man's world. And so it was just like writing like back to the future sketches over and over again and stuff that didn't really relate to me. And so stand up is a little bit more personal. And so I have a, you know, an identity of myself, myself, that's not as well spread out Like you know, it just, it's a little bit more personal and I have a story to share with stand up. Okay. Very good. We'll come back to that. Uh, over to you, Emma. Yes. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> Your journey to uh, to just maybe before throwing punches, what brought you to LA your, your, well, as was growing up? I, I came out in uh, 2009 again to, to, to well, I, I wanted to do American TV and film. I was living in London and I was actually doing a little bit of stand up in London. This is uh, 2007, 2008. And I, I, in fact, I did the Edinburgh Fringe. I did the free fringe. Uh, doing stand-up in uh, 07 and 08. And it was 09 that I thought I wanted, I wanted to go to LA to do American TV and film. So I kind of pursued, initially I pursued the straight acting route. Route, I'm saying route because I'm here. Nobody nobody at home will understand route, route to the <laughs> Irish people. I've been here for far too long. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've done I've done a bit of independent film. I did a, I did a film recently with Ed, Ed Asner and Jamie Farr from MASH. Um, and then again, like Michelle, we actually met in a stand-up comedy class, um, started doing stand-up as a way to, you know, to kind of take the reins on my career. And it's a great outlet to perform and write. And you can get on stage really as many times as you like in a week. So you always have that outlet to be on stage if you want. So, uh, and then, you know, it gives you a voice, particularly as a woman getting older, who's, you know, over the hill in LA past 25, <laughs> although it's changing a bit now. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be a woman who's aging in LA and, and to have a voice and stand-up comedy gives you that. Okay, very good. Good, good story so far. Um, when did you guys meet? We met a couple of years ago. Two years ago? At a stand-up comedy class, yeah. At a, at a class? Yeah, and we started throwing punches pretty much as soon as we finished the class. Yeah. Well, and, and like when you were going to those classes, was there in either of your mindsets to set up your own show? Was it something you wanted to do on your own or was was there a, an angle that we were looking to collaborate with somebody? Um, I think we, we both knew we were serious. And I, I think I definitely want to, I wanted to start a show. And Michelle is talented and she's a doer as well. So we partnered up fairly quickly. And we sort of both had the same um, uh, vision for what we wanted to create for the show. Yeah, especially because this was two years ago. Things have changed a lot. It was a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of women shows focused mostly on women. We don't only have women on our show, but we're women heavy and uh, people of color heavy. Yeah, And, and then gingers. <laughs> Guys can only do it if they're ginger. Okay. <laughs> and um, it just, there was something lacking in the shows that we were seeing and then also I felt like I was going to a lot of shows that honestly weren't that good and making my friends go see these two and a half hour shows that just went on forever with a million comics on it that were kind of bad and so it was just like I want to make a show we want to make a show that I want to go see or that my friends would want to go see that was enjoyable and like keep it only at an hour and a half make people be really funny so we kind of brought to life something that was we weren't seeing okay and you mentioned the word vision so so like when you go through the process of creating a show how do you actually figure out what that vision is going to look like and then how do you turn the idea maybe talk me through the journey of turning an idea into something real 
Well, I mean, I, I think we kind of curate the show, don't we? We, we? we get we always try and get the biggest names that we possibly can. So we'll get a big name headliner and then we'll get we'll get a fairly big name opener as well. And then we'll piece in the rest of the comics that we feel are going to flow with the show. And it's kind of going to create the, the same kind of good environment and, you know, top talent as much as possible. I think that I kind of pieced together pretty well in a weird way that we were looking for a space and then a really perfect bar popped up. One of Emma's friends um, (laughs) found us our venue um, and it kind of all went together. It was very kismic that, you know, we ended up meeting these people and they were searching for something and we were searching for something. And then for me, they were, it's an Asian woman and a white guy from Florida. So it was like my, like a second round of my family. Like it was kind of weird how it all came together like that. Once a month you do the show right now, is it? Yeah. Once a month. Yeah. When do you say if you're, are you, you're planning, when are we now? We're going into February. When is the February show, for example? February 21st. We're always the third Sunday of the month. Okay. And when would you start planning the next that that show out or would you would you be planning five shows out what's the kind of process you take for that we tend to sometimes plan in advance we definitely know key people that we want and then we'll reach out to them and whatever works best for them we'll kind of place them so we always know we have an opener that we want a headliner that we want so those tend to be bigger names that are harder to get so we'll place them throughout the month so we'll constantly be like working on a multiple shows at once um, and then we'll just kind of insert them. We never have more than eight. So it's always the two of us. So then we only need six other people. So then we have the opener and the headliner and then we fill it in with other people. Okay. And for big name comics, like obviously they're doing our show for free because, you know, people, they, they, they like to work out their material in, in, in a good venue when, when there's uh, a good crowd, which is what which is what we offer to them. But obviously then it can happen like uh, Whitney Cummings, for example, was going to do our show and then she got a paid gig. So that can happen. So then, you know, we'll have to move things around sort of in, in the last week. But mm-hmm. but we're getting more well-known now on the circuit and, and comics, bigger name comics want to do our show because they know it's a great room. They know the crowd is friendly. They know that, you know, they're going to be in a lineup with other really talented comics. So yeah. The word is getting out. So the reason I'm kind of asking some of these more kind of tactical questions about planning, because I'm very fascinated about the process people people take. Was this the first time either or both of you have kind of worked on putting a show together like this? Or have you done something like that in the past? I had, yeah. When I was doing stand-up in London, uh, I, do, I used to run a night for about a year at the Paradise by way of Kensal Green. So it was the same kind of thing. And... Um... My minor in college was directing, so I directed, it wasn't a lot of stand-up, but I directed a lot of plays, um, like Hollywood Fringe Festival plays and things like that. So I'm used to like that kind of like organization slash putting things together and producing. Okay. And over the, since November 2017, when it started, it's probably, you know, going into its second or 12, 15 months or so. What are the key things you've learned that you never expected when you were starting out? So probably not just around the comedic elements but you know marketing advertising things like that you just said wow that's a lesson that we learned that we'll be better for next time things that we can say on air <laughs> everything everything can be said on air um what what have we learned what's been the biggest thing we've learned i know for me probably a little bit of like con- like lessening up my control i used to be like want to have a control on everything and 
sometimes things happen. Like we had a comic that was just snowed in in Canada last month. Mm -hmm. So that's beyond my control. I can't control the snow. So it's things like that where it's just like, I think like it's going to go a certain way. And it's just kind of have to loosen the reins and move with the flow a little bit, which has helped me in my personal life as well, too. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the fact that there's two of us is great because, you know, we can shoulder the burden and there's always, if I can't do something, Michelle can do it or if she can't do it, I can do it. So that's actually a good thing when, when there's a partnership. And, you know, as Michelle said, you know, letting go, like things, you know, comics, your headliner will cancel sometimes on the day that mm-hmm. will happen. And then you have to, and you know, it's, it's all going to be fine. It's still a great show, no matter what happens. And it's still only five bucks on the door. So people know they're getting a really great quality show. And, you know, we always do have top talent. So, um, but yeah, not getting too stressed when things yeah. kind of, cock up at the last minute as they invariably will <laughs> absolutely yeah it's kind of the contingency planning that you need to probably do as well just to you know to, to be prepared for that sort of stuff that crops up yeah always have a backup a backups yeah. are, are essential plan b's feedback on the show versus say feedback on your own performance how how does uh, that differ or, or are they do you take them differently yeah, I, I mean, I think some, you know, sometimes obviously you're not always going to have a gig, per, a good show personally, but um, you know, I think we 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 nearly always have a really good show. Mm-hmm. The show is always a fun show, and you know, we've always got a, a, a top headliner. So, you know, it's even if I myself maybe had a bad night that night or Michelle did, like it's still not going to take from the show. You know, we'll still we'll we'll always we'll always have a really great show and as well as that as a comic when you have a bad night or when you think you have a bad night you learn something from that you know there was something that you didn't say or maybe you forgot a joke or you weren't present with the audience or whatever there's always something you can learn when you don't have a have a a good a, a good gig personally but I think the good thing for us is because we're doing a show that even if one of us has a bad show a bad gig ourselves we'll still have a great show, which means that we still feel elevated from the night. Mm-hmm. We still feel good about the night because the show was great and people went home happy. And it sounds so LA to say this, but I think that our venue has a good vibe and people generally just have fun when they go there. It's a great venue and it's full of really awesome people. And so everyone's very uplifting that goes to see our show. No one's really there to be like, I want to watch you fail. Everyone's there to have a good time. And so it kind of almost feels like a party. And then there's like a DJ after, and there's 90s dancing, there's pizza next door. So it kind of just feels like a fun night out. We didn't, I didn't think I expected so many repeat people to be constantly coming every single month. And people, some people I know are like, this is my favorite thing of the month. And so they feel really invested in it, which uh, when some, sometimes it's kind of weird though, because I'll have people talking to me and it's almost like they're so invested that they feel like they can like say so much to me after the show is done. Like, oh, this person, this, and I'm like, almost like they have been for a year coming every single day that they're so invested in it that they're like oversharing almost, you know, but it's good to have that feedback to them. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh... It, it sounds like it's it's really beginning to take off and obviously with with 80s or, or 90s music that's that's always good as, as well it'll just yeah. uh, make me feel feel young again uh, yeah. yes we'd love to we're, i mean we, ideally we'd love to get a second night going but michelle is planning a wedding right now she's getting married in august oh, so no. uh <laughs> so hard <laughs> that's taken up a lot of time but um 
but yeah, we, uh, ideally we'd like to get another night going in, in another part of town because where the night is right now, um, a lovely, it's, it's a lovely little bar called a simple bar, a little neighborhood bar. And it's kind of uh, just next to Universal City. So right before you get on the 101, I know that means nothing to people in <laughs> Ireland, but near the Hollywood, Studios. Near, by, between Universal Studios and the Hollywood Bowl, actually, people might know those landmarks. So, and there's free parking, which is great, but we'd love to oh. get something maybe on the other side of town, maybe the east side where Michelle lives or maybe the west side, and we'd have another little venue going maybe on the first Sunday of the month or something like that. That's kind of the plan for the future. <laughs> okay, so, sounds good. Would you call yourselves entrepreneurs? I'd love to. <laughs> I'd really like to wear that hat. Yeah. <laughs> I actually never really, honestly never thought of that. I've never thought of myself in that way. I don't think that I would be bad at it. I wouldn't think that if someone was like, I don't think I'd be like, oh, I'm terrible. I would never be able to do it. That's just never really crossed my mind as because I definitely wear a creative hat more than I think that I wear a business hat. And it just hasn't been on my radar. It's it's an interesting question because I never thought of it, honestly. But but you're you're creating a show, and that's the creative piece. But there's a I presume a business side to it as well, from a business right. perspective. What what do you what do you what do you think you've learned around doing doing that? Well, I mean, we make a little bit of money, but we wouldn't make much. But that wasn't the primary objective for us for doing it. I mean, we wanted to do it to give ourselves stage time, and to give other up and coming stand up comics stage time. That was kind of you know why we wanted to do it so for us the money was secondary wasn't right. it and you know at this level at our level and certainly in the level above us you know comics do shows for free all the time so it's not it, unless we decided you know to buy a venue and create a comedy club I think at our level at the level we're doing now it's difficult to make any kind of money beyond pocket money and we're always outsourcing that money to other things like, you know. Yeah, we are, you know, like, yeah, PR. PR, whatever. someone yeah. help our Instagram. Yeah. Stuff like that. But I don't think that we're bad at it. I think that, like, I especially think in this last year, it's helped me grow to be like, oh, you know, like, I could be a boss bitch if I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not a bitchy boss, though. A boss bitch. <laughs> boss bitch. Emma, you mentioned the levels there. So, like, is there kind of like a, a talk to me about the hierarchy of, of com- comedians in, in LA? Like, is, is what level you're at versus the next level? Is there some sort of kind of league table? And, you know, maybe just explain a little bit about that. Well, I mean, headline comics are in, in, are in a, a different league. They're sort of top of the food chain, if you like. But I think there's. Um, maybe an idea that people who've been doing it 10 years are professional people who've been doing it five years or you know on their way to being professional and anyone below five years is still kind of a newbie baby yeah, yeah. a baby comic yeah so baby teenager they kind of talk of it like that so yeah we'd be we're obviously doing it less than five years even though I, I did it uh, in London, I, I quit when I came out here in, in 2009. So I kind of picked it back up again just over two years ago when I met Michelle. So we would still be at the kind of the the the, the bottom rung of the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> We're still baby comics, even though we've been doing over a couple of years. But you know, until you get to that five, because the thing is, a lot of people drop out. It, it's it's quite difficult hard. to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to keep getting on stage. It's hard to keep writing new material. And so within that sort of naught to five year period, there's going to be a lot of casualties. People will drop out. So if you've been doing it five years, people know that you're in it for the long haul and that you're not going to quit. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I, I guess that's what it is. And, and then, you know, you'll the, the longer you're on the scene, you'll know people in the community. You'll get to know their comics. You get to know their shows. You do your you do their show. They do yours. That kind of thing. That's sort of how it works. Yeah, I definitely consider myself a baby stand up. I always say that I'm a baby stand up. But it's funny because the class that we we met, I was the TA in it. So I had, you know, TA'd a couple of times and watched a couple of rounds of people. And it's so funny because you'll see people take the class and they never did stand up before. And all of a sudden they just call themselves, I'm a stand up comedian. And they just say it to everyone they meet. That's how they introduce themselves. <laughs> like that's what they are. Then they like do one, you know, one show somewhere else. And then they never do stand up again because then they realize how hard it is yeah, to self motivate yourself, yeah. to push yourself to like, and how many times to just, feel like you hate yourself after yeah. you bomb. That's the worst feeling in the whole world. There's a lot of people who will bomb and they'll never do it again yeah. because you get that first, like, especially in a class setting, like, it, like people are, know it's your first time to do it. So they're really nice to you. And then you're like, you get this like high from it. Yeah. But then when reality hits you, then you're, I'll never do this again. So it's funny because it, when people first start doing it, they label themselves a stand up, but then they realize they're not a stand up. So even at two year two for me, I feel like I'm just a little baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I still feel like I haven't even nailed down my set completely of what I want to say. So that's why I'm like continuously changing it too. So it's like, how do you want yourself to be completely presented to the world? And it's kind of good to get this, this baby time too, because, you know, people think that people become overnight successes, but they actually don't, you know, they're no. working behind the scenes yeah. all the time. And, you know, at this level, you can fail, you can fail. You're, you're, you've got that luxury, if you like, to fail and to try stuff out and for it not to go well and then to try something else. And then, you know, once you've got jokes that you like even, we keep mix, mixing them up to make them interesting for ourselves, you know, because then you kind of start getting bored with your set and bored with your jokes and you hate all your jokes and you hate yourself. And it, it just, that's the way it goes. <laughs> you just have to keep working through it. Yeah. Keep working through it. And and that's kind of, I think that's the journey is, is working through it. And even when you don't want to do it, even when you hate it, even when you hate yourself, you know you still do it yeah no no I'm, I'm nodding in lots of ways there i'm just trying to draw a comparison to podcasting right so it's not my day job either but i love it uh I, you know i'm not getting millions of downloads like like somebody might think after releasing two episodes they're going to be hyper popular globally that that's certainly not the way it works but it's a struggle it's the journey piece that massively is is where you learn so much and, and your, your point yeah. there emma I think both of you said it. One of the first guys I interviewed uh, on my show, he's he's a guy from Dublin, actually, Andrew Mangan. He, he has podcasts. He he has he has millions of downloads a month. But he was he said the exact same thing. It's maybe after nine years he became an overnight success, and and it just exploded. Then so it's it's the grind. It's keep keep learning, keep chipping away at it. Um, nine years, that's quick. It usually takes 10. <laughs> they say that in, in LA, it takes, uh, there's a leaf blower outside. Sorry if you can hear that. Um, they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. But in LA, uh, it's apparently 12. It takes 12 years. And I, either you you quit or, or you get there or you go home, you know. So still here. Yeah. I've put down nine and a half. How long have you? <laughs> we're, we're close. We're getting close. Chip away. If you put the, yourselves together, you have 12 years then. So maybe that, that'll help uh, the synergies. Yeah. Of, of, and then, you know, you create a life, you know, and you, you learn to do things that you enjoy. So you might have come out here with one intention and then over the course of living out here for 10 years, your life as as it would, as yours did in Cork, I'm sure, you know, you, you, you take maybe a, you pivot slightly in one direction or another and you're still finding things to do that that fulfill you you know but for me like I think 
the one thing I've learned from doing stand-up because I'm I get the worst stage fright ever like I get the, it's just it's terrible and people have no idea and I'm so nervous you know I'm so nervous before I go on and I think for me the the idea of not doing something is far worse than the actual fear of doing it so you might as well just do it you know instead of having the fear of doing it because you'll always feel worse if you didn't do it you just have to just keep doing it and and just and the other thing is to remember that nobody judges you as much as you judge yourself in yeah. anything most people don't give a shit so you get up there like oh I was awful and the thing is you weren't you just thought you were and and no everyone else is thinking about their own shit nobody's that fucking interested in you do you know what, do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, so yeah. when you when you when you remind yourself of that it frees you up you know it's nobody's that interested in me even if I did okay it wasn't as great as I thought I still did okay it's fine I did it anyway way woo me aren't I great I still did it and that's kind of how you have to and then on to the next and so if you do four four gigs in a week and you have two bad ones well that's 50% good in a week so that's great whereas if you only do one in a week and you do bad that's 100% bad in a week so you, you just have to keep keep getting up there you know yeah yeah no I totally agree and I would compare it in some ways to presenting it's like people's biggest fear of, of doing a presentation at work or whatever and I would have been shit at that myself for, for years but I always knew why it was bad because I wasn't doing it enough and and again when I started to get maybe record myself yeah, doing it and see that actually when I thought in my mind I was pausing for five days between words it actually didn't come across that way it was really you know what goes on in your own head is so different to what you actually or, or others would Always. actually see as well same yeah. for you Michelle would would nerves be a big thing for you how do you deal with the fear um with me it's a little different I'm always nervous at home um and then once I get to the spot I'm not as nervous anymore it's um, in the car ride there makes me really nervous but as soon as I get there I'm pretty calm uh especially with our show when we're producing we're, we're doing a million other things like you know checking the mics and the this and the getting drink tickets for the comics. So it kind of distracts you and takes you yeah. away from it. Um, or sometimes at another show, if I'm just sitting there watching other comics, I'm like, Oh wait, I have to go. Yeah. You know, like you just kind of forget. You yeah. Know? So my thing is I do the day of before I get to the venue, I'm pretty like chaotic at my own house. Um, but then in the car ride there, I'd say is the worst one, but then it just goes away for some reason. And then when I get on stage, it, but everyone gets Mark Maron is probably doing 30 years and Judd Apatow 20 years. Like they say that too, you know, that um, the fear never really leaves you. And they say that if it does, that's when you should be worried. But what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm reframing my thoughts instead of, because you know, it's the same chemical in, 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 that produces excitement. It's, it's exactly the same feeling. So if you say, oh, I'm really excited instead of, oh, I'm really nervous and just, you know, watch the language around that. That's what I'm trying to do. And so, you know, and get into a place of excitement as opposed to nervous because they're exactly the same. It's just whatever you tell yourself. Yeah, totally agree. The the, the reframing is a, a thing I talk a bit about. I, I do coaching and it's called neuro linguistic programming. I don't know if you've heard yeah. of NLP. I've and, and there's, that as well. yeah. th there's a lot of yeah. uh, reframing and looking at yourself and you know objectively in the third person and things like that. So they're they're absolutely important to, things to to keep in mind when you're creating a, a a bit or a a sketch. What's your what's your process of doing that? Is it something quite well formed or is it very uh ad hoc for me it's kind of weird like i will 
I spent a lot of time by myself. <laughs> that sounds so psychopath, like a psychopath. But I spent a lot of time by myself and ideas will just pop into my brain and then I will just write it down in my notes. And then sometimes I'll just find it and it looks like serial killers like writing because I'm like, what does this even mean? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it means. And then I will leave it alone. I'll jot down a couple more ideas and then I'll sit down at the last minute, unfortunately, and then bang it all out. So I don't know if I have, and I've learned not to judge myself. That's just how I do it now. I used to be like, you should prepare five days before, but I can't. So I have accepted that it's okay that I write it all the day of, but the ideas are ruminating in my brain and they just like pop out while I'm cleaning or taking a walk or something. And I always treat all of those ideas like gifts and gold. And then I dissect them later. So, and also a lot of my stuff is about my, where, where I was raised in the South with like a Korean mom, you know, so it's like a lot of weird things. And so it's almost like working out my childhood through writing and now I'm just like, I, I think of my childhood almost as a gift too, because just such random weird things have happened to me that have happened to no one else. And almost like a memory will just pop up. And then I'm like, yes. And then I already know that I'm like, need to like do it the last minute. So I put it away and then I'll do it the night before or the day of. And even sometimes my fiance is like, I can't believe you did it. Like, I just like, it'll be up to the last minute. I like the show will be at eight and I've like written my, my new set at six and somehow it just comes out. I don't know. I've just always worked better under pressure. Yeah. Nothing like a bit of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's an ideal way to work. It's just, that's how I used to be in the sketch team too. Like if my, my sketches were due on a Sunday, I'd write them on a Saturday night. It would just be bad, but that's just, I'd always be thinking about it. And I think thinking about it helps the overthinking. And you, you think it's overthinking. I used to be negative myself. Like you're overthinker. You're so this, but it's not actually overthinking. It's just ruminating the yeah, thoughts, exactly. yeah. which is exactly what comics do. Yeah. Right. Very good. And that's and just it, my process. I don't know if that's anyone else's process in the whole world. Yeah, I think I think it's normal for yeah. a comic. We're all a bit weird, so <laughs> as we're as normal as we can be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the art of of journaling. Like when you're saying you're walking around, you come come up with the idea and you write something down. Like I would journal pretty much or journal is kind of a bit of a pretentious name for writing stuff down that's in your head. Um, and then it starts to make a little bit of sense. Or if I have an idea, typically if I'm doing yoga in the shower, some of the best stuff comes and I might, you know, obviously can't write stuff down in the shower, but um, scribble stuff down as soon as I can. Similar to that, leave it. And then it's either a crazy idea an hour later or there's something more to it. So, so I think getting it, as soon as you get it out of your head, do you find it easier then so that you stop overthinking about it and, and have it on paper? Well, I always do. Like I have a, like when you mentioned journals, I was like, I have 10,000 journals. But then one time like my fiance was like, I'm going to read your journal. They like, you know, like, is it like a joke to be like, see your secret thoughts? And he like, he didn't even know what any of it meant. It was like, oh, beautiful, beautiful mind. Like he was like, what is this crazy stuff? Oh, so God. it's just for me, I just need to jot down the idea and remember it later and so sometimes I will be like I can't even think about that right now I can't flush it out but I just need to know the idea will just pop up and then I will as long as I know that I won't forget it and that it's there somehow like either written in my notes or written in my journal then I'll go back when I feel like I'm being a worker you know and then I will work it out 
but I don't really like to do that until I'm ready because it stresses me out. So I kind of, that kind of hinders my creative process. So just jotting it down, jotting down ideas helps my creativity. And then I assign some time to flush it out. Very good. You, you mentioned five years is the kind of point where people get more, I suppose, considered accomplished or, or is that like an unwritten rule in, in Hollywood to say how long have you been doing it that oh you haven't got the five-year mark you, you won't even get entertained not really I mean no but people just would know that I mean people are generally nice in the community nobody's that mean and bitchy I mean at least if there are they're not coming out with it but I think um people just know that you're serious if you've been going five years now look at there's people that have been going um less than that and maybe they've won competitions and they're they're doing really well but generally you know at the five-year mark people would know that you've been doing it a little while you're relatively proficient and you're 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 on the way to being professional and that you haven't quit because i think if people are going to quit they'll quit between not in five years interesting and ha- have you seen comics that just explode onto the scene that are, are younger is is there anything that that they do differently when, when those that break the mold well i mean you know you could decide uh, there's a there's a comic gerard carmichael so you can decide to come to la and you're going to do mics open mics seven nights a week and you're going to line up and do every single open mic at the comedy store the laugh factory does so you could you probably and, and some comics the younger comics with more energy than i have might do three and four and five open mics in a night so if, you, if you're going to do do that then you might be able to fast track it because the one thing that you need is stage time you need to become comfortable in front of an audience but i think for most of us, you also need to sit down and write your jokes. I mean, there's very, very few comics that get up there and just talk until it's funny. And I know, I know they, it looks like that when they're up there, like, you know, lots of them, it looked like they just be up there riffing, but there's very, very few of them that don't know exactly what they're saying. Word for word, every single word counts when you're on stage, especially when you're, you know, you're, you're talking to time, you know, you might get a five minute spot, a seven minute spot, a 10 minute spot. And, you know, you don't want to waste too many words. So I, I think it's important. It's not just about getting up on the mic and just talking about your day five times a week, yeah. which we could all do. And I think some of the younger, particularly male comics seem to think they can, they can do that and look at it does work G- generally as a rule. It work. I mean, um, it may work for some of them because I think men, when they start off in anything, are a little bit more confident than women. Women tend to be more meticulous. They want to know. They want more details. They need to sit down. They want to make sure they really have a handle on this. Whereas men, men will go, ah, I know what I'm doing, even when they don't. And I think that's probably true of nearly every industry. But um, but yeah, I think um, I think you know, sitting down, actually writing the jokes and getting on the mic as much as you possibly can but if you can get on the mic five six seven nights a week then people might know your name within two or three years because you might be out there and you know yeah you might have built up quite a lot of of material i think also making our show has helped us though too because people would never know who we were if we didn't have this great show so then now people especially with social media they've seen the show they've heard about the show people talk about the show which for two, like, you know, being doing stand up for two years as baby comics, we would never be on the radar of these people yeah. before. And we're building our own stage time because the same as there's bad shows, there's also bad mics where you could do a mic, you could wait all night, two hours, and then you do a show for two people. And yeah. like, I could have done this at home for my cat and my fiance, you know? Yeah. So, like, why am I sitting out here for at this dingy bar for two hours? So now we know every month we have 
and, and and upcoming future every two times a month have a great audience a lot of people you know we're guaranteed that doing at least 30 people in the audience like you know so yeah and 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 would it because you guys are hosting it setting it up does that make it less of a pressure on you or more of a pressure when you're actually doing your bit I, for me, I think it's more pressure. You'd probably say less pressure, but I, I think it's because we've a lot to organize. And we lot, when I'm, when I'm doing somebody else's show, I know I'm doing seven minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever I'm doing. And I'm usually much more relaxed. I'll sit there, I'll watch all the other comics. And, and, and also at other people's show, unless they're a bringer show, we don't have as many people there to see us. Like with our own show, we've got a lot of people that come to see us usually you know half the audience is michelle's friends half of them are my friends as well as regulars and everything else there's a lot of people there so i would feel more pressure at our own show because obviously there's a lot of other things to think about you want things to run smoothly you want things to run to time you know yeah there's a lot to be thinking about but whether when i'm doing somebody else's show i can just enjoy the show and then go up and do my spot and say you're different though michelle you're saying it's the other way you feel a bit less i would say there's you it's it's even actually for me it's like equal i know that when i don't have a time limit it's easier for me because i don't get caught up in time so if i do somebody else's show and they're like you have seven minutes i get for some reason get fixated on that being like i hope i don't go over on time because i know a lot of people always do go over on time but i take it so seriously like i don't want to be rude if i go over and you should i think that's it's really good etiquette to get into yeah it's it's note it's noticed yeah if comics run the mic it's not a good thing to do yeah so kind of is rude to just be like you told me seven i'm going nine you know so i kind of just try to really it's like my southern upbringing to like have good manners so it makes me stressed a little bit that stresses me out at other people's show um our show i don't feel as much pressure as performer because i know the people are smart and i know that they're gonna like laugh at the things that i say and they'll get the jokes um sometimes if you write too cerebrally like it will go over people's heads in other places you know um but I know that our audience is smart and there are certain ways so I know the jokes will land with them um but I still am a little stressy when I'm there because I'm like worrying about other stuff like running the clock or like the door keeps opening in the bar makes a loud noise or somebody's at the bar sitting there talking really loud or there's a drunk person so there's kind of that kind of situation but when I get up on stage I generally do feel happy now that our show has been running now for over a year and it's getting a lot of good hype a lot of people like I had a friend drive up from like another county last show and that made me feel pressure like oh my god I haven't seen this girl (laughs) I haven't seen this girl since college she came just for my show I better do good you know so that puts a, a, a separate kind of pressure on it but I mean it's always good it's always good because you don't want to get lazy you know I don't want to be like every month I know I'm gonna kill I I want to keep putting that pressure on myself yeah I know it sounds like you both have the uh the right attributes to keep the pressure on and and you know make it successful how do you how do you work together you know how, how do you come to making decisions together are there uh collaboration skills that that are working well maybe talk to me a little bit about how, how you do that um well, I mean, the decisions we make together, like we we generally make all of the decisions with the headliners and the other comics together. So, yeah, so that's just, I mean, that's kind of what we do. We just make the decisions together and we, you know, ask, what do you think about this? How do you feel about that? Okay, let's not do that until next month, you know. 
maybe we should do a bit of this. Maybe we should, you know, we need to get a, di a different light. Um, we should start earlier. We should start later. Whatever, you know, that that kind of thing. But we're in agreement usually, aren't we? Mm -hmm. On on pretty much because we both we know we have the same vision for what we want to create, you know. So and you know the other good thing is with running this show, like in the down times, or you know when we're not always feeling great about it or doing stand-up comedy we, we pick each other up and we know well it's all right we're doing a show we've got a show whatever happens we've got a show a great show every month so that's good we know that we're 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 still doing it you know because you know there's plenty of times I'm lying in the bath going Jesus I don't want to get out of this bath I don't want to go not that I'm going to drown myself but <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to go I don't want to get to you know go out to this club that night or I don't want to get on stage and you get the, you get the fear I've written something is somebody going to like it oh this is shit you know nobody's going to think it's funny so you get all of that kind of fear but we kind of you know we, we we pull each other back from the edge if that ever happens <laughs> yeah no no it sounds like it uh, conscious of time so maybe just end up with a couple of ones you mentioned motivation and how how to keep yourself motivated maybe what what do you do to keep that drive passion moving forward honestly i think that the show helps because it's like every month i know that i have to show show up and do a good job because like i said i keep that pressure on myself and I mean, my, our names and faces are splattered all over the internet with this and, you know, flyers everywhere. So I'm like that, it needs to be good. So that makes me rein in my fears and just be a little bit more self-motivated. Um, now that I'm a little bit older, it sounds like cliche to say that I'm just not so self filled with self doubt. Yeah. That, that kind of helps me now when I was in my twenties, I mean, I was, I wish I could go back and like shake the shit out of that girl because, you know, she was so skinny and pretty, but so filled with self-doubt and hatred and walking into rooms and just doubting myself before I even got there. And, and Hollywood's a different place now when 15 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, it was 10 years ago when I used to go on commercial auditions, I was literally only ethnic person. I'm half Korean and half white. And they'd be like, are you Mexican? Do a Mexican role. Like, you know, learn Spanish. There was no, no one else that wasn't white. And it's so different now. And so that motivates me now. Cause now I'm like, maybe I didn't want to go back into acting a little bit now because there are, you know, mixed people and Asian people on TV, which was something I never, ever saw before. Never once. And, um, I just am in a calmer place in my life now. I'm not, I used to be so psychotic and boy crazy and drunk, you know, now I'm just like settled and being more settled motivates me more actually. And then having a partner, someone that keeps you, it, you, you know, I owe it to her too. Yeah, yeah, we do. We keep each other right. And, you know, I do think that having a, a sanctuary, having a home life, that I mean, both of us were in relationships, we're both engaged. So I think being with a partner that allows you to flourish and grow and wants you to do your best as an artist, because it's hard for artists, particularly if, you, if you've ever been with somebody that has tried to clip your wings or put you in a little box. And I've had a lot of that in my life. And so, you know, being with somebody that wants me to do well in what I've chosen to do is, is great. And I think that then it gives you, if you like a cradle from which you're, you know, to, to grow as an, as an artist and, and, and motivate yourself and, you know, and also the other thing is when, when you're with somebody, you live with somebody like it's, you know, I, I do want to, 
make it look like I was working really hard all day. So I do. I, I actually do. I do work all day because I, like, I don't want him to come home and I'm like lying on the couch. <laughs> uh, you know, I can't even I can't even actually turn on the TV in the house by myself. Just, <laughs> just I, I can't just in case. Um, I'll end up watching too much TV, but I, I don't do that. I, but yeah. no I, I actually don't. <laughs> oh. No, seriously, I, do, I, I don't know how to turn on the TV. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's probably a good he, thing. It's like, a, he, he, you know, 60 inch, he's got this huge TV and like there's five different remotes. I'm like, what the fuck? I can't, I can't even turn this on. So I don't, which is good because it means that if I'm at home working in the day, I'm not going to be distracted. Yeah. So. Oh, no, that sounds good. And I guess holding each other, that little bit of shared accountability helps as well. Yeah. It keeps you both probably motivated to, uh, to keep, moving forward and yeah. not let each other down and you know, you know we we sound out i you know ideas with each other on jokes and stuff because i think that's important too it's really hard to sit down you know looking at a blank wall and a computer and trying to be funny you kind of often you have to bounce the ideas you know off of somebody else so we do that as well so that's great i think it's a thing with a lot of women that we will be more motivated for someone else than ourselves, and i think it's a bad habit but that's just kind of the way it is and now that I know that, oh, you know, like we have the show and Emma's name's on it. I don't want to let down Emma. It motivates me more than yeah. if I was just doing it for myself. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's right, actually. We, we kind of, and we know that we want to do well for each other and for the show. So yeah, it's, it's a good way. But I think, you know, in, in any partnership, you, you, you want to hold up your end, don't you? Yeah. So I think that's, that's really good. And it does keep you maybe more motivated than if you were just doing something on your own. Because no, you know, you let yourself off the hook if it's just you, you know, but you won't let yourself off the hook if you have to do it for another person or with another person. Yeah. 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 It's like but, having an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so LA. Yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah, accountability, accountability, accountability buddy, I think they call it sometimes over here oh, as well. Oh, okay. Accountability buddy. Yeah. Like I'm a schizophrenic, so I, I hold myself accountable in lots of ways, so it's it's okay like that. Um no, I'm not really. Uh I'll wrap it with uh, two quick ones and and give a shout out. We talked about the show a lot, which is great. So uh, advice, is there any one piece of advice that that you've been given over time that stands out that uh, comes back to you maybe in in moments of tough decisions or challenges? Um, I mean, I would say just do it, you know, Nike, that slogan. (laughs) Like stop, we we get in our own heads and we fuck ourselves up with our own bullshit and just so stop, just, just do it. Just stop thinking about it. Don't overthink it. Whatever it is that you want to do, do it. It's as hard. It's, it's only as hard as what you think it is. You know, it's not often, it's not that hard. Or I don't know what I'm trying to say here is doing it is not as difficult as the fear of not doing it. So I just think whatever it is, if you're, and, and I think that keeps coming back to me over my life is just do it and and trust your gut like listen to your instincts and trust your gut I think those and people have said that to me over the years like I've heard that bit of advice a lot trust your gut so I I think I'd probably come back to that all the time to yeah trust your gut cool cool I think for me it's like be this sounds cliche too but uh, (laughs) just to be yourself um, even the teacher that we had once was like, if someone else could pick up your set, then no one else could be able to read it. And it's for me, I'm such a sensitive person and any little thing could make me go down a dark hole of, you know, self doubt and not so much now that I'm older and a little more confident, but before, and 
when I was talking before about going into different rooms when I used to try to be an actress, I used to compare myself to every other person. So it was like, if another, you know, girl comes in, I compare myself to her. But now I feel like with stand up, it's, I'm being myself. And even if there was another half Korean, half white girl from Fort Pierce, Florida walked in this room, I would know that my set would stand alone from hers because I'm truly being myself. And I think that that is really what's launched me the, to move forward a little bit more in my career is that it, I being myself and being free with myself and not judging who I am now has made me free as a person that I don't just like lock myself because I, I spent a lot of time in LA and the nine-year rule doesn't apply to me because I spent a lot of time being depressed not trying to do anything with my career you know being a mom to my cat like just being crazy like just not doing everybody anything. has though yeah. yeah I think and I think that's probably why it takes long because as an artist we are very sensitive people and you know in, in a city like LA there's a lot first of all there's a lot of distractions but then there's a lot of comparisons as well yeah. and there's going to be a lot of things that will derail you the pressure and you know most people suffer from depression most actors see therapists you know we've all gone through that mental health thing I mean that's that's the thing and I think that's probably why we know certain things and we're not afraid to talk about them in stand-up you know because they and that's why they resonate with people because people have been there too people everyone's been in bed uh, not wanting to get out of the out of the bed with the covers over their head everyone's been there at some point in their lives you know so yeah we're normal. Yeah, no, but I think it's what, what I'm taking from it, and what's really interesting is is definitely the the self awareness piece and and developing, as you said, Michelle. You know, you writing about about your own life growing up and the suffering and things like that's happened to you have helped you become that comic. Even though at the time you didn't realize this actually is an important event that twenty years down the road I'm going to write about that's going to make me who I am. So. So for me, that's really interesting. Uh, similar stories. I'm not a stand-up comedian, obviously, but but uh, by doing the podcast, by doing things like that creative side, um, those things that happened earlier in life make sense now more. So so that's really good yeah. to kind of to kind of wrap it up on. I think um, it was really interesting. Thanks so much, ladies, for for sharing your your story and the 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 uh the story of throwing punches maybe just you know the in the standard end of podcast wrap up give uh give yourselves a bit of a shout out how folks can find out more about you both and and about the show um yeah well we're on instagram at throwing punches comedy is the handle and i have a website emma pine p-y-n-e.com and i'm also on instagram emma m pine and I'm on Instagram, Michelle A. Thorne, and Twitter and all those things. Um, and a Simple Bar is the bar that we do our show at every third Sunday. That's on Instagram as well. Yeah. Very good. So, yeah. Instagram is the place to be, I think, for, for uh, comedians. Seems to be best yeah. Yeah, it is. the best place to be hanging out. We're so out. lucky because we found a lot of comics that way, too. You know, if it was 20 years ago, we'd have to yeah. like, write them on note or something. Yeah. Funny express. Yeah. Send, yeah, send them a letter or something that, yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, people just phoned. Didn't they? People actually phone call, made a phone call, and somebody else. And how would you get the, the number side. though? Ask somebody. Give it to you. <laughs> the yellow pages. There was a big book at one stage. Uh, remember? Do you remember those days when if a guy liked you, he actually had to call to your house and, and speak to your father? <laughs> yeah. I was from a time in Ireland when that when that happened. I remember <laughs> having to cycle long distances to 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 do that sort of thing. A long time and ago. It was, 
character building, wasn't it? Like fellas had to do that when they're like 15 or 16, come and knock on your door and go, is Emma there? And, you know, that's what kids had to do. Kids don't have to do that anymore. Mm. They had to get past the mother and the father, you know, and they'd be interviewed before they get to meet the daughter. Yeah. Well, at least I suppose they're still meeting actual people. Maybe in 10 years time, it's going to be robots. So I'm kind of worried about that. (laughs) My son downstairs, that's five, six weeks old. He's god like what will online dating be like in those days uh, uh that's another podcast um a long yeah, time away he probably does he probably still yeah he knows how to use the iphone already probably he's already on tinder <laughs> he's got his own tinder profile at five weeks oh, old god that's scary scary stuff let's not go there look ladies thanks so much i look forward to sharing this it's been great to connect with both of you um best of luck with the show emma if you get over here let me know uh i'd love to will, to, to yeah. go to a, a gig thanks, and Rob. Yeah, best of luck. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. You too, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Just before you go, I'd love to hear from you if anything specific stood out from that episode, something you might take away and try and implement in your own personal or professional life to help make you that little bit better. On the other side, is there anything you think I could do better to make the show even more enjoyable, more impactful and maybe meaningful? So drop me a note, rob at robofthegreen.ie or connect in on any of the social platforms at Rob of the Green. We also have a community on Facebook. Check that out. If you're really enjoying the show, maybe you could try and leave a rating or a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts app, Go in there, give us a rating, let us know how we're doing. That'll help with the ranking of the podcast, up those charts. The more folks that potentially see it, because we're high up, the better. The more that might listen, that never heard of it before. And the goal of the show is to try and reach more and more people and have that impact more and more. So that's down to you. Please do help me with that. I'm not going down the route of hiring podcast promoters, quote unquote, from other parts of the world because they say they can help with the ranking and I don't really believe them or it's not very authentic. Help me do it in an authentic way. I'd really appreciate it. This year, I'm going more all in on Patreon. So it's three bucks a month. You can sign up, subscribe to Rob of the Green on Patreon.com. That will give you access to Patreon-only content. Nearly all the episodes of the 864 podcast are on there and new ones will be added only there. The 1% Better Show will have early releases there, but will still come out for free on robofthegreen.ie. There'll also be live shows this year, some phone-in shows, extra content. Three euros a month will hopefully, the more folks that subscribe, allow me to do more and more stuff on there, add more and more content. At the end of the day, that's the price of a pair of socks, maybe, that you might lose, or a coffee. One way or the other, it's up to you. If you want to join, you'll still get free stuff otherwise but if you're enjoying what we're doing help us grow help us expand it i'd really appreciate that adding new stuff onto the website all the time there's an affiliates page under the be better drop down check in there there's training courses that you can sign up to more and more stuff will come in over time into season three now of this fun fun journey huge learning hopefully you're getting something from it too stick with it let's keep going enjoy the journey even more have a great day week weekend and thanks for checking it out good luck